This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Bravo. The title of our series that we are studying is the Epistle to the Hebrews, and this has been part 20. And tonight specifically, we are going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. And we are subtitling this portion, which this is what this portion talks about in essence, is Jesus, our eternal priest. Praise God. And so remember that, you know, one or two sessions back where the writer, where we started studying, where the writer began to show us how Jesus is superior to any and every high priest, every priest, whether they're high priest or just a regular priest, Jesus is superior to them all. And then, of course, last week specifically, we looked at the qualifications for priesthood and also how Jesus overqualifies. He's overqualified to be our high priest, our king priest, our chief priest, if you will. Those are the three different ways that we can say it. According to the qualifications of the law, you know, some because that's where the priests were, they were under the law, Jesus overqualifies, and I showed you how he overqualifies, but in this portion tonight, in actual fact, the writer, without saying it, again, just emphasizes that fact that how he overqualifies and meets those requirements, but specifically in this portion, he focuses on the fact that Jesus is eternal. He's an eternal high priest, king priest, chief priest. He is our eternal priest. Aaron was not eternal. None of the priests that served after him as high priest were eternal. Whereas Jesus is eternal and therefore we can count on our eternal redemption. We can count on the fact that we have eternal representation before the Father. And that's why Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. That's why the Bible says he intercedes for us. Some people think that he's there praying in tongues or something. That's not what it looks like. That's not, uh, that's not the intercession that he's engaged in. What it means is that he represents us before the Father. Just like a lawyer intercedes for someone in court, meaning that he represents that person, Jesus represents us before the Father. That's what it means when it says that he makes intercession for us. He's there representing us. And so, he is the eternal priest, or our eternal high priest, king priest, or chief priest. And so, again, last week, we also took a brief look at the grain offering. And remember, we kind of rabbit trailed a little bit with that. And I didn't show you everything about the grain offering because there's still some other aspects. Like, for example, um, salt had to be added onto it, and that has a meaning of its own. And they couldn't put honey in it because that has a meaning of its own. And uh, so one day we'll do a teaching on the grain offering and just see how it typifies, how it's um, a um, type and shadow of the life that Jesus lived here on earth for you and me, and how every single aspect, every single component of the grain offering or ingredient, if you will, how every single one of those and how it was prepared, it represents the life of Jesus. Praise God. And so remember, part of that was that as high priest, he had to bring a sacrifice and a grain offering. And so we showed you all that. And so in this next portion, the writer continues to show us how Jesus qualifies, overqualifies as our priest. But also, he, like I said, he focuses on the eternal 
aspect of Jesus as priest. So let's read that whole portion and then we'll take a closer look at it bit by bit. So what I'm going to do now is we are, remember this is verses 5 to 10, but to keep the context and not lose the context, I'm going to include verse 4, but we've already studied that. And so this is just for context. Remember, this is one of the mistakes <laughs> that many make in Christendom. They take things out of context and then they misunderstand what it says. They make all kinds of doctrines out of it. Remember, one of the key things about correctly studying the Word of God, reading the Word of God, teaching the Word of God is to do it in context. Amen. And so that's why we're including verse 4. So let's read the whole portion and then we'll take a close look at it. So Hebrews chapter 5, verses 4 to 10 from the King James. It says, And no man taketh this honor unto himself, talking about the honor of uh, high priest, meaning that you can't appoint yourself. Just like today, you know, in the ministry offices, you can't just appoint yourself. It says, And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Then it says, now we're reading a portion. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest. Interesting. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest, watches forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, talking about Jesus, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was, that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author, watches of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek or Melchizedek, however you want to pronounce it. And so twice in that portion, the same phrase from the Psalms is quoted, which is that he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And that is so that the Hebrew audience would understand. This is a priest. Jesus is a priest, a king priest of a different order. So he serves for us as high priest, but of a different order, not of the Levitical order. And part of that, part of that order in, in, engulfs in it or is within it, at least I should say, is the eternal aspect of his priesthood. And so, all right, so let's take a closer look. Let's break this down a little bit and let's see what we can understand from that and what it's communicating to us as part of our Bible study tonight. So let's begin by looking at um, verse 4 and the first part of verse 5. And we are including verse 4 for context sake, okay? Because we don't want to lose the context. And so, notice here. Now, verse 4, as you know, is it's about God appointment, not self-appointment. That's why it's part of the context. So watch what it said there. And no man, in other words, no person, taketh this honor unto himself. In other words, you cannot appoint yourself as high priest. No one can do that. Then it says, but he that is called of God. So the calling of God has to be there. As was Aaron. Then it says, so also Christ glorified not himself to be made 
a high priest. So even Jesus didn't promote himself to that office. Even Jesus didn't take it on himself and say, well, you know what? I am the son of God. I was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And yes, I was born through Mary, my natural mother. But, you know, I know that the way I came was glorious because I am from God. So therefore, I now declare myself as high priest. And this is what I'm going to do. And you all need to respect that. <laughs> no, that's not what he did. So even Jesus, as the son of God, didn't promote himself and self-promote himself to that office. I mean, there's a lot to be seen here. Now, this is under the law, but remember, Jesus is our eternal priest. So this applies even today. God has to call you to that office and he confirms it. And you know that he he's called you, but so do others know that. And the gifts obviously flow through you. I mean, that's one of the ways you, you know that someone is called. The gift flows through them. Otherwise, it's an effort. Otherwise, it's all just out of head, out of soul. It's not out of spirit. And so, but here we see that not even Jesus himself promoted himself or took it upon himself. And if anyone had the right to do it, you have to agree with me. <laughs> it's Jesus had the right, but yet he didn't. As a man, as a human being, he didn't. He waited for God's call God's confirmation and God's release into that. Now, it says here that the way Aaron was chosen by God as high priest, Jesus was also chosen by God as our high priest, more accurately, king priest or chief priest. And so, Jesus, this is why it says in that portion, that's what we brought in the context. The way God chose Aaron, and we see that in Scripture, is the way he chose Jesus. So, Jesus didn't even take it upon himself. Now, that portion in verse 5, where it says that, you know, he didn't glorify himself uh, and made himself high priest. That's a quote from Psalm 2, verse 7. And we're not going to look at it tonight because it pretty much says the same thing. It's, just, it's an exact quote. And so, but that's where it comes from. Now, remember, the reason why the writer of Hebrews quotes and keeps quoting from the Old Testament scriptures is because he's speaking to Jews, to Hebrew people. And so, they had received salvation in Jesus. And as you know, many of them were fine, but they needed to grow in, in the gospel, in the revelation of the gospel. Some were considering going back to law, and so he's clarifying out for that purpose, and some were not saved. So he's, you know, in a way witnessing to them and sharing the gospel with them. But this whole thing is so that they can see from the scriptures that they are familiar with, how these new covenant truths were prophesied then, were predicted then, and were foretold then. And so that's why, again, this is a quote from Psalm uh, 2 verse 7. And so what the writer really wants his readers to understand here is, is that, Jesus was called and appointed by God. He did not appoint himself. Now, let me put it in my own words, what he's saying to them. He's saying, under the law, you guys were awesome. You revered Moses. You revered angels. You revered Aaron. And just the way Aaron was called of God and appointed of God, so was Jesus. And Jesus, by the way, didn't promote himself. It was God that promoted. It was God that put him and appointed him and ordained him in that place that's in essence what he's saying so that they can understand and realize because they were very familiar with Aaron and they had a lot of respect for Aaron and so in the same way he wants him to have the same respect and more for Jesus that's why he brings it up and he parallels him to Aaron as far as calling an appointment by God and so what he also emphasizes here though is, is that Jesus his calling was greater and superior to that of Aaron or any Levitical priest. And you'll see that in a moment. And so 
Just to veer off and show you about the heart of Jesus, look what he said. He himself said in John chapter 8, verse 54, the first part of that verse from the Amplified here. Look at what he said about himself and about his calling and appointment of God. It says, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, in other words, if I appoint myself, my glory is worth nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. So even Jesus was humble and he knew that he had to have the calling of God and the appointment of God. That's what he's saying in that portion. So you can see that the heart of Jesus here, this is basically just to let us know. He was not out to appoint himself. He wasn't going to take that upon himself and assume that. He waited for God to do that. The heart again here is to convey to the Hebrews that, you know, Jesus was called of God. God did it. This is the heart that he had. And so we continue now with the second part of verse 5 in Hebrews 5. And watch what it says there. So we've just seen how, how he didn't promote himself and take it upon himself to put himself in that position. Then it says, but he, talking about God now, God the Father, but he that said unto him, that's Jesus. So God said to Jesus, thou art my son, today I have I begotten thee. And so that confuses some folks because they think, okay, so did God give birth to Jesus? Uh, how is it that he begotten him? What does it mean by begotten? What does it mean by calling him son? See, I remember he's speaking to Jesus as a human. And he says, you are my son. He's communicating to his audience that when God called Jesus and appointed him as our eternal high priest, God confirmed it by saying, he is my son. And today I become his father. Not meaning that he wasn't his father all along, meaning that he's going to father him. Let me explain that a little bit more as we go. That word begotten, by the way, if you look at it in the original, the way that it should actually be translated is become your father. But not in the sense of, you know, I, I wasn't your father before, I am becoming your father now. It's more in the sense of, I am now going to father you. I'm going to be with you every single moment that you're alive. That's another way you could put that. Let me show you how the New Living puts it, which helps us understand it clearer from the original. So Hebrews 5.5, 5, watch this, <clears throat> the second part. It says, no, he didn't appoint himself, in other words. He was chosen by God, who said to him, you are my son. Today, watch this, I have become your father. And so that's exactly what begotten means. If you want to translate begotten, specifically in relation to God and Jesus, that's how you need to translate it. It's when he became his father. And as I said, not to say that it wasn't his father before. It has a specific application and meaning to it. And so I'm going to show you a little bit more in a moment. So begotten does not mean to birth, but rather to father. That's what I'm trying to show you here. God didn't say, I have begotten you. He wasn't saying, I gave birth to you. What he's saying is, and he, of course, you know, he didn't marry that. What he's saying is, is that I rather I have become your father or I'm going to father you from here on. 
let me show you to clarify that and back that up because it's important for us to understand so we don't you know get caught up in all these misunderstandings that are out there as far as the begotten aspect let me show you the vines expository dictionary definition now i've only taken out what is applicable here it's got a long explanation but i've just taken out to show you what are we talking about here so here it is yeah the vines expository dictionary of definition of the word begotten it is the word genau and there's the number there if you want to go check it out and this is what it means it means to beget so you can translate it that way in the passive voice now watch this to be born so it also means that but watch what it says next is chiefly used of men so male not female begetting children now you know males can't give birth to children more rarely of women begetting children so from that you can see that it's referring to a male fathering a child because they can't give birth to a child it is talking about fathering that child in other words actively engaging in fathering that person that's what i want to show you then what it means so in other words as a human being what god was in essence saying to jesus when he said i have begotten you or i have become your father and i'm going to father you you could put it in these three different ways he was saying to him i am now your active father or you could say i will be father to you actively involved if you will or i will be your father daily that's another way you can translate it from the original by the way and so the uh, passion translation actually does a great job in bringing across the meaning from the original in that specific aspect so let's read it from the passion translation watch us so also christ was not self-appointed and did not glorify himself by becoming a high priest but god called and glorified him watch us for the father said to him you are my beloved son so he's acknowledging that he's his son today i have fathered you now the passion translation has a little marker there at the end of that fathered you meaning that there's a note that the translators put in additionally to help us understand that and that note is below that and watch what it says here the aramaic can be translated every day i beget you or every day i father you every day i will father you so in essence what god was saying to jesus he was acknowledging that he that he is his son so he called him to be high priest and the way he backed it up the way he confirmed it is by saying he is my son and i have been fathering him all along and i will continue fathering him from here on that's what he was saying so that's how god confirmed the call of god on jesus to be our eternal high priest it's pretty awesome because from the and, and the reason why i said the, the the aramaic even though this was written in greek is because the original quote remember was from psalm 2 7 which was in aramaic that's why you've got to go back and look at that meaning that way and that's where you know that comes from so the ultimate point of verse 5 is that god appointed jesus as our high priest our king priest our chief priest because he personally fathered him he was his son and no one else had that privilege at that point no, god did not father any other son he did not have any other son 
Of course, we're all sons and daughters now in Jesus, but at that point he didn't. And that's why it was a privilege for him. And so, in a way, what the writer again is communicating to his Hebrew audience is that what you need to understand <clears throat> as far as Jesus as now your eternal high priest, number one, he is, God acknowledged that he's the son of God publicly. Remember when he got baptized? Everyone heard it. And so he says he acknowledged him as his son. And secondly, he confirms that he's fathered him and he will continue fathering him all along. So who would you want? An earthly priest from among you or the one God called and is the son of God? Of course, that's a no-brainer. Okay, so now we continue with verse 6 of Hebrews. And remember, this is all in context here. So let's not lose the context. And so then it says here, Still speaking about what God said to Jesus. And he saith also in another place. In other words, if that doesn't convince you, here's another part where God said something about Jesus. He says, and he saith also in another place, he's referring to Psalm 110 verse 4. And he says, thou art a priest, watch what it says next, forever after the order of Melchizedek. Or Melchizedek. So you can see from that, that he, God confirmed the call by saying, He is my son. I have fathered him all along and I'm going to continue fathering him. But also, if you look at the Old Testament scriptures, I have also said that he is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, meaning a different order of priesthood, and he is a forever high priest. And you'll see, we're going to study more about Melchizedek in chapter 7 when we get there, because that speaks a lot about him. There's a lot of stuff about him there. But in essence, what God is, uh, what he's doing here is he's pointing again to Old Covenant Scripture, Old Testament Scripture, and he is saying that, you know, if, if the fact that he's the son of God, if the fact that God fathered him all along and is still his father, if that, by the way, isn't enough witness for you, well, here's another one from Psalm 110 verse 4, where God himself said that he is a priest forever. In other words, he's an eternal priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, you have to wonder, well, why did he use Melchizedek? Why didn't he just say, you know, you're a priest forever? By appointing Jesus to a different priesthood, priesthood to that of Aaron, what he is doing is he's making clear that they understand that he's not like a Levitical priest. He is like Melchizedek. And so then you have to wonder, well, what is, what is so grand about this Melchizedek? And, you know, we've looked at this already in previous sessions, so I don't want to spend too much time on that. Uh, but let's just have a look at Genesis 14, verse 18, to understand why God said after the order of Melchizedek. Genesis 14, 18. It says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, ancient Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine for them. He was the priest of God Most High. So notice, two things there, three, but let's focus on the two first. Melchizedek was a king, but also he was a priest of God. Now notice he was the king of ancient Jerusalem, which is a type of Jesus in terms of God's people and the new covenant church. Pretty awesome, isn't it? And so that's why God said, I have called you to be a priest, meaning high priest, chief priest, king priest, after the order of Melchizedek, who's a king priest, first and foremost. He's not just a high priest, he's a king priest. But it is forever. And the fact that he was, you know, the king priest in Jerusalem for God is a type of Jesus. So clearly Melchizedek was a type of Jesus, and we know that. And so Melchizedek was a king. Aaron 
was not. Remember, he's paralleling Aaron here. And so he wasn't. And Aaron was not a king of Jerusalem either. And so already that makes Jesus superior to Aaron in terms of priesthood. And also the fact that he says he is eternal king priest. Aaron was not eternal. He eventually died, as you know. And so there's a strong parallel there to, to, to help them and help us realize that Jesus is certainly a superior priest, but also he's an eternal priest. I mean, who would we want? Someone who's temporary there or someone who is permanently there, eternally there to represent us? Of course, we want Jesus. Amen. And so remember I said earlier that Melchizedek was a type of Jesus, meaning that Jesus is the real. That's another aspect that he's sharing with his audience. By quoting from that portion, what God in essence was saying is, is that Melchizedek was a type and a shadow of Jesus. So Jesus is the real, and you are very familiar with the type and shadow. Well, now transfer all that to the real, and you've got that in Jesus. Let me show you this from Hebrews chapter 7, verse 3. We're going to read that from the Passion Translation. It says, This Melchizedek has no father or mother. Look at that. And no record of any of his ancestors. Wow. He was never born and never died. But his life is like a picture of the Son of God. A king priest forever. Now, a few things that I want to show you there. Look at that. It says that Melchizedek had no father or mother. Well, you have to understand, and most Bible scholars agree, that Melchizedek was the pre-incarnate Jesus. In other words, it was Jesus himself at that time. Because he had no mother or father. Well, that can only be God, right? The Son of God. Then it says that there's no record of any of his family tree. Well, <laughs> that has to be Jesus. And then it says he was never born, never died. So there's no record of his birth, no record of his death. Well, that's Jesus. And it says, but he was like a picture of the Son of God, a king priest forever. So in other words, the fact that the, he's mentioning that there's no parents, there's no record of a family tree, there's no record of birth or death, it's all a type of someone who's there eternally and forever. This is why the author of Hebrews brings this across and quotes it and says, you see, Aaron died. All the other priests died. They served for their time and they're no longer here. But Jesus is a forever priest. He's an eternal priest. In other words, you really want to go back to law. Whoever serving as high priest now is only going to be there for a time. But here you have Jesus who is eternally there for you, guaranteeing your redemption, guaranteeing intercession before the Father. Why would you want to go back to something inferior? Why would you want to embrace something and mix it with something that is eternal? That's the point that is bringing across. Now you have to ask yourself, why is his appointment eternal? Well, because he's the Son of God for one and he is eternal. But there's another reason why we need an eternal high priest, an eternal king priest, rather. Let's read Hebrews 7, verse 11 and 12. I don't want to get into Hebrews 7 too much because we, we're going to get there and study all this in context as well. But here's the reason why we need Jesus as our eternal high priest. Because no other earthly natural priest can do what Jesus did and continues to do. Watch us from the New Living. It says, So if the priesthood of Levi, on which the law was based, 
could have achieved the perfection God intended. In other words, the old covenant priesthood could never achieve what God wanted to achieve for us. That's what he's saying. Why did God need to establish a different priesthood? Now it's talking about Jesus. With a priest in the order of Melchizedek. There it is again. Instead of the order of Levi and Aaron. And if the priesthood is changed, the law must also be changed to permit it. Now that's so loaded and I don't want to rabbit trail and study that because we will when we get there. But what I want to show you here is that the reason why we needed Jesus as our eternal priest is because the old covenant priests could not achieve what God wanted to achieve for us, which is eternal redemption, eternal forgiveness, and eternal salvation. They couldn't do that. Remember, they had to keep offering sacrifices year after year, day after day, and it was always just a type and shadow of Jesus, always on credit, if you will. Whereas Jesus is eternal, and He achieved that perfection that God was looking for. In other words, to redeem you and me eternally and permanently forever, once for all time. Praise God for Jesus. And then also just happens to say that because he was of a different order, he's not, an, he's not a priest under the law. He's now a priest with a different covenant. And of course, that's the new covenant. But we'll get into all that when we get there. And so that's the reason why we need an eternal priest. Aren't you glad that you have an eternal priest in Jesus who can represent you before the Father, who has redeemed you, who was the sacrifice himself, and who has done everything necessary to redeem you and me eternally. Why would anyone think that sin, that in Adam can undo what Jesus did for us? There is absolutely nothing, nothing and no one that can undo what Jesus did for you and me. And that is a guarantee eternally, forever, praise God. I mean, the only thing that would cause us to lose all that, if you will, is us rejecting it. And who in their right mind would do that? It's crazy, don't you think? But anyway, so praise God for that. And so, you know, the Hebrews were familiar with the quotes that the writer just quoted from Psalms. And so they knew that these were prophetic references to the Messiah, because that's what they were as well. And so they knew that this Messiah would also be a superior king priest. And so that they knew what he was really saying without doubt. This is that Jesus is the Messiah and he is our king priest. And so this would seal it right there. And I'm sure that many of them, after reading this and understanding the background, they knew, yeah, the, the, it makes no sense to go back to law. It makes no sense to try and mix law and grace. It makes no sense to try and go to the temple and serve and, and expect the high priest there to do something for me when Jesus has done it all for me. Amen. So let's continue now with verse 7. Hebrews 5 verse 7. Remember, this is all still in context. Still talking about Jesus here now. So he said all that about Jesus, and now he says this about him. Who, in the days of his flesh, in other words, he can relate to you, in the days of his humanity, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him, that's God the Father, that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Now, fear there doesn't mean he was scared. It means reverence. And I'll show you that in a moment. But take a close look at that. Let's put it back on the screen. I want to show you something here. 
This again is something that is often misunderstood. And I'll be honest with you, before I had revelation of this, I had a misunderstanding of this. I misunderstood this. Look at what it says, and I'll put it in yellow. It says, you know, Jesus prayed and he supplicated to God with strong crying and tears. Now, you know, he's talk, it's talking about the Garden of Gethsemane, and I'm sure other times too when he prayed. So he was very emotional in his prayer, knowing what was to come as far as, you know, his crucifixion and the cruelty that he would face. So it says that he was crying unto God who was able to save him from death. Now, that's the part that I want to focus on. Oftentimes, this is misunderstood and believed to say that what Jesus was doing is he was trying to get God to prevent him from dying. In other words, and of course, I quote, you know, if this, if, let this cup be removed from me, but I'll do your will anyway. And that's again something else that we need to clear up. Jesus wasn't praying here or in that portion. He wasn't praying that God would somehow find another way for him to be, you know, to be our sacrifice and not die. In other words, let this happen without death because I can't look forward to that death. That's not what he was saying. So I'm going to show you that, but I want you to pay close attention to that. It says, you know, he prayed and he cried with tears to the one who was able to save him from death. It sounds like he was praying, please don't let me die. That's not what he was praying. It says, you know, and then it says there, and was heard in that he feared. So he, God heard him because he reverenced him. Well, apparently, if you were to understand this, that Jesus was praying to be spared from dying, from death, then God didn't hear him because we know that he died. He gave his life for us, right? So there's obviously something that we need to understand here. So it sounds here like Jesus begged and pleaded with God not to let him die. But then you have to ask yourself, why would it say that he was hurt because God feared? Because he still died, right? And so I want to show you that word from. Remember, I showed it to you. Let's go back to that real quick. Remember, save him from death. Even though it may seem like an insignificant word, it's actually a very powerful word that is mistranslated here specifically and often in other portions that changes the meaning. That from makes it sound like Jesus was praying and pleading to God saying, please don't let me die. That's what it sounds like. But that word from, if you look at it in the original, and I'm going to show it to you from the Helps Word Studies lexicon. Watch how it defines that word from. It is the actual word ek. Now in Afrikaans, if any of you want to learn Afrikaans in South Africa, ek means I, me. <laughs> but of course this is different, so don't think in Afrikaans here. It is the word ek in the original. Okay? And here's what it means. How's the helps word studies helps us understand this? It means out from and to. So in other words, it's a powerful word with a strong meaning. It means take me out from something to something else. So he's not praying to take, you know, to prevent him from dying. So out from and to, watch this, the outcome. So the focus is on the outcome, not what is about to happen. So it's not about the death, it is about the resurrection then that Jesus is talking about. Then it says, out from within. There it is again. Then it says, ek, out of, is one of the most under-translated. Look at that. And therefore is mistranslated. Greek prepositions often being confined to the meaning by, or you could add in there, from. Then it says, Ek has a two-layered meaning. 
out from and to, which makes it, makes it outcome-oriented. So you can see here that when Jesus said to save him from death, what he was saying is, save me out from and to. So he wasn't saying, don't let me die. He was saying, when I die, don't let me stay in death. Take me out of death and resurrect me because that's the goal. So that's what Jesus was praying. He wasn't praying not, you know, for there to be some other way. And then when he said, you know, let this, let this pass from me, it is the same thing. It's the same play on words where he was really saying is that, you know, I know I'm going to face this. I know it's not going to be pleasant. That's why he cried and he, and, and he pleaded and all that. But he was saying, I know that you will take, even though it's going to happen, I know you're going to take me out of that state into the state that you want me, which is resurrected. Praise God. Amen. And so the one translation that actually gets us pretty accurate and helps us understand this is the Amplified Classic. So let's read that portion, verse 7, from the Amplified Classic. Watch this. In the days of his flesh, in other words, his humanity, Jesus offered a definite or offered up definite special petitions for that which he not only wanted but needed. And supplications with strong crying and tears to him who was, watch this, always able to save him, here it is here, out from death. And he was heard because of his reverence toward God, his godly fear, his piety, in that he shrank from the horrors of the separation from the bright presence of the Father. So there it is as clear as anything, telling us what Jesus' prayer really was. It was here as a human, he wasn't looking. And remember, he faced everything you and I faced and more because we have a threshold. He didn't. And so because of that, he was so moved, he sweated blood, drops of blood. But through all of that, he wasn't saying, God, don't let me go through this. Rather, he was saying is, I know I'm going to go through this, but I know that you're going to get me out of it into the goal, into what needs to be achieved here. And that's what he was just praying, thanking God, and just really expressing his heart as a human to God. Amen. And so what we see from that is, is that Jesus prayed and cried out to God, knowing that he would save him out of death through resurrection. And, you know, there's so much you can say in that because it's a, it, for us too, you know, it's a way to encourage us to know that we can trust God when we pray, when we petition, when we cry, when we express our hearts to God. It is the same thing. Pray in a way to say, God, don't let me go through this, but rather I know you have and you will get me out of that. And I'm not saying you should pray that you go through it, but what I'm saying is when you know, when it's inevitable, when you may be already in the midst of the situation, Pray with confidence, knowing, yes, cry, express your heart to God, but know and pray like Jesus did. I know that you will get me out of that situation. In other words, have ek in your prayer, <laughs> if I can put it that way. Amen. And so we know that he was saying, he was praying that he would save him out of, through, out of death through resurrection. In other words, he was not praying and crying to be saved from dying. He prayed to be saved out of death, not from death. That's what that means. And praise God for that. And so, so Jesus knew and understood his mission. And though as a human being, he dreaded what the outcome, you know, what was to come at least. The crucifixion, the horrible, all the horrible things that he went through for you and me. 
even though he knew that was coming, he trusted and submitted to God without hesitation. And he basically just said, Father, I know that I'm going to go through that, but I know that you're going to get me out of that into the desired outcome, which is to be resurrected and be the eternal priest and bring eternal salvation for everyone. Praise God for that. Amen. So aren't you glad that he prayed that prayer and trusted God like that? Because that was for you and me. He did all that for you and me. Praise God. Amen. And so he knew what it was like to be in distress and pray. I mean, I don't, I don't know of any person who literally, when they were so in such distress and such anguish and agony, where they actually began to sweat drops of blood. That's because we have a threshold. Jesus didn't. And the point is, is, is that, you know, if Jesus had that faith, if Jesus could trust God like that, I want to encourage you, you and me can trust God in the same way. But when you pray, when we pray, let's pray with ek in mind. In other words, don't save me from going through that. And I'm not saying you should, you, you, you should trust God not to face things. But Jesus said, we'll have trials and tribulations. But rather more than that, say, Father, I know you're going to get me out of that into your desired will. Amen. Even though we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't get stuck in the valley. We go through it. You see, that's the ek part. This is that, yeah, I'm there, but I know you're going to get me out, in, out of the valley. Amen. Praise God. All right. So let's finish off by reading verses 8 to 10. As we continue with that context, it says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. So even though he could have taken on privilege, he didn't. He went through it and obeyed God and went through what he needed to do to redeem us. And being made perfect, he became the author. In other words, by fulfilling his mission completely. That's what that means. He became the author, watch what it says next, of eternal salvation this is why he is our eternal priest because only an eternal priest can provide for us eternal salvation and to all of them that obey him in other words all them that receive salvation in jesus called of god and again this is to back it up again to make sure that we understand his eternal aspect called of god a high priest or king priest after the order of Melchizedek. And we've already seen that he was he represents the eternal priesthood of Jesus. And so once more you see here, real clear, that Jesus went through what he went through, willingly, obediently, suffered it all, so that he could be the perfect high priest who provided perfect eternal salvation as our eternal priest, so that you and I can receive salvation in Jesus, be eternally redeemed, and have confidence in the fact that we have an eternal king priest praise god amen and so it is just so wonderful to know that i mean no other priest did what jesus did or what he is as a matter of fact there is i mean when you consider everything so far that the writer of hebrews has shared if you were a hebrew who who lived under the law who understood the law and understood the animal sacrifices, and specifically understood the Old Covenant priesthood, and he just shared all these truths from the Old Covenant that you're familiar with, I mean, how can you doubt that Jesus is far superior as a priest to any other priest, and also that he is eternal, and he provides eternal redemption, where everything else in the Old Covenant was temporary, it wasn't eternal. 
I mean, it is pretty much a no-brainer. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. What a wonderful eternal priest we have. Amen. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.